Hello again. Welcome to another edition, a special edition of the Brattlecast. I'm Jordan Rich, and if there's a little confetti in your face or balloons floating around your head, it's because this Brattlecast is number 100, which is a milestone. And Ken Gloss is here, the owner-operator, the proprietor of the uh, Brattle Bookshop in Boston. And congratulations, my friend. We've done 100. Well, it's wonderful, and it's been great, and I enjoy doing it, and uh, they were a lot of fun. Tell me what has come out of these, because a lot of interesting relationships and connections with listeners, but what does it mean to you? Well, what it means to me, first of all, is I've got a million stories. I love talking about books. Also, in these days nowadays, I used to get on a lot of local radio stations, a lot of local TV uh, and there isn't that much of that anymore. I mean, as consolidation happened in those industries, so there aren't as many outlets. And so I thought, why not do our own? The, the internet works. Uh, podcasts have been getting more popular. Uh, you were willing to work with me and we can do it professionally and well. That's what I wanted. But also, I'm not a good writer. No, people have said to me, why don't you write a book? Why don't you, you have all these stories. Uh, the books, what you tell is interesting. Well, I can do it well and enthusiastically in this format. Mm. But if I try writing it down, you'll still understand what I'm saying, but it flattens out. So this is a way of sort of me doing that. Now, if someday I have someone approach me and say, let's write a book, as long as they're a good writer, maybe they can listen to all of these podcasts. But it's also a way of reaching out to customers. And, and I've actually had the audience seems to be going up slowly but steadily. And I've actually had some ideas that I'm going to be working on on the next 100. Uh, many times I've mentioned items on the air in this. Uh, there was a baseball card of a woman's baseball team. Mm. Uh, in, in this one, we're going to be talking about declarations. And we're starting to do more social media. So some of this, we're going to have the pictures of these that we're going to start putting on Instagram, tweeting on our website so that we can say, listen to the podcast and you can hear about this. Or I can say in the podcast, if you want to see what these look like. So we're also, it's an ever changing and expanding, but it's mainly as an outlet to keep the store alive and active and out there and for me to tell stories and talk about books and do it enthusiastically. You absolutely nailed it because I, I've known you for many, many years, and I know how great a guest on the radio you've been with me in the past, and this is a terrific vehicle for you and for me just to hear these great stories. So in honor of the 100th episode, we have a wonderful question that uh, has the number 100 sort of in the question. This person says, I have a declaration of independence. Right off the bat, I'm interested. <laughs> I am, personally. It's been in the attic at my grandmother's house for over a hundred years. There's that mention of a hundred. It's on very old original paper. I saw one of these, one such item, sold for millions of dollars. What about me? What can I get for my Declaration of Independence? So I'm sure it's a question you've dealt with before, but it's wonderful to have you approach this today. Well, one of the things when you say that sounds interesting uh, right off the bat, what flashes in my mind and probably... <laughs> Everybody else who deals in this field is, wait a minute, it's an old paper, it looks old, uh, it's been in the attic 100 years. It's probably one of those tourist fake facsimiles that everybody sees 
They, uh, it's all handwritten. You can go to the Library of Congress or the archives now. You go to the gift shop and they purposely make them on old paper so that someone feels they're getting it. And these have been made for well over 100 years. Matter of fact, in the 1876, the centennial, they had them. So that's the first thing that pops in my mind is, yeah, I'm probably going to be letting someone down. Uh, but send a picture. I'll look it over. Uh, you never know. Once in a great while, you, you, you do get it. But almost every time, if somebody has something that's that valuable and that rare, they, they tend to sense it. The other thing about it is the original Declaration of Independence that was done in 1876. Uh, I mean, the actual handwritten one, that's in the National Archives. In 1776, but right. 1776. Yeah, that's okay. I'm sorry, it's in the National Archives. When they passed that, they went to a printer called Dunlap in Philadelphia, and they immediately printed up a few hundred copies. It was on plain white paper, printed in just black type, no handwriting. Matter of fact, the names of the signers wasn't even on it. It was just plain, simple. And the idea was that then riders would ride out to Boston, to New York, to the colonies, and then disperse copies to the major centers. And then another printer would probably take that one and then print another plain copy, mm. and it would go off to other towns and cities. So the actual original editions of the Declaration of Independence are in plain white pieces of paper. They were very good quality paper. So the paper doesn't look old or brown. It's not crumbling. Uh, it, there's no handwriting on it. Uh, so that's why when more likely we get these things, people say it's on old paper, it's all handwritten. I've got the question that is probably on the minds of many. The original declaration, which is in the National Archives, was there one document that John Hancock and others signed, or did they sign more than one of those documents? In other words, the original, original, how many of those are there? Did one. We, just one, okay. There, there is one, and not only that, what a lot of people don't realize, it took almost a year or two to get all the signatures because they voted on it, but they weren't all there when the votes were all completed. Yeah, no electronic signing. <laughs> it took a long time to sign yeah. it. Uh, and some of them, uh, it's actually an, an, a little aside to this, There's uh, there are people who want to collect signatures of all the signers of the Declaration of Independence. You know, it's nice. It's sort of, it's a definite number. Uh, it's American history, big time. The rarest signature is a Southern gentleman named Button Gwinnett, who nobody knows, but he was almost, he had to have been almost illiterate because he signed in his lifetime almost nothing. So the rarest, the highest price on some of them is Button Gwinnett, because if you want to complete that collection of signers, he's the hard one to get. But in any case, there have been occasions where I have seen declarations. I did a lecture uh, in uh, one of the towns, it was Dover, just outside of Boston. And this was a number of years ago. And usually when I do these lectures, I talk, I tell stories, uh, there's some question and answer. And then at the end, the reason I think people really come uh, is 
I do appraisals. In other words, it's sort of, you know, just people line up, they have books. Most people don't have anything special. They're thrilled that they don't have anything special because then they can get rid of it, mm. give it to their grandchildren. Right. Some people have valuable things. The lady came in and she had a box of old papers. You know, just, they're actually nice. There's probably a hundred dollars here, a couple of hundred there, a couple of hundred. They've been in erratic. And then I unfold one and it said a declaration of independence. It wasn't the first edition. It was one done a couple of weeks later in Salem, Massachusetts. It was only worth about a half a million dollars. Oh my and I mean, goodness. It probably, and it probably been sitting in erratic for 200 years or more. Uh, and and right, then she I, just packed it up and left. Let me let me ask you to recall that incident. D- did you take her aside and tell her this, or did you say to her right well, then and there, "This is really worth a lot"? You recall what I did. What I did on that is I told her this is incredibly valuable. When you get that valuable, you have to do some research and background. I said it could be upwards, and I said it quietly so everybody, mm. you know, so she didn't get robbed walking out. That's the door. what I was thinking, <laughs> <laughs> but. Uh, uh, but I, I told her, you know, this could be worth a quarter, half a million dollars. And uh, what happened was I never heard from her again. And then about two years later, I heard about it showing up at an auction and it sold at a half a million dollars. Incredible. But one of the one of the things you have to realize that even in doing this, that is a great joy is I got to touch it. Mm. You know, you, you somebody. Back in Salem at the Revolutionary War time, they would ha- either have a, a town official, a town crier. When that arrived and it got printed out locally, it would be in the town square reading to the population what had just happened in Philadelphia. And this is one of the ones, and you get to touch and hold that. There obviously aren't that many of them, that the originals. A lot of them belong to states, cities, towns. So they're not in the public domain, but it's great. But there are other copies and reprints and so on. And there's a whole uh, degree of uh, declarations of independence. And I'll tell you, I recently got called to do an appraisal uh, of a declaration of independence. And it was a very, I thought it was a really interesting one. First of all, it wasn't done in 1776. It was printed in 1777. So, you know, a lot of people would say, well, gee, you know, they, the, the original Declaration of Independence, the one that Dunlap printed in 1776, the first edition that went out of Philadelphia, that's probably worth eight, 10, 12 million dollars now. I mean, it's a valuable mm. piece of paper. Mm-hmm. It's just a piece of paper. Uh, but this one was a year later, um, and it was actually printed in Baltimore. But one museum had it, and they were loaning it to another museum for a display. But they wanted to get an insurance price on it so that they, you know, if anything ever happened. And, of course, one of the tricky parts about it is if anything ever happened, I don't know that you could replace this one anyways. But here's the interesting thing that I really loved about this declaration. It was printed a year later in Baltimore by a woman. Mary got it. So first of all, this was a, a woman printer. Big deal. Which nowadays would make things even more interesting right. to start with. Also, it was the first declaration ever printed 
with the names of the signers on it. Because up until then, you know, if you were a signer of the Declaration of Independence, you were treasonous. Mm. As far as the English government was concerned, you were traitors. And treason is a capital offense. So a lot of the early copies that went out didn't have everybody's name on it. So it was a year later that this copy went out, first one with the printed names on it. And what made this copy even even more special was if you look at the bottom of it, in handwriting, actual pen, it said, this is a true copy, signed John Hancock. So this was a, a declaration of independence that John Hancock actually signed his name on it. And if you're a collector, uh, there are only 11 known copies of this one still out there. And uh, if you're a collector, I mean, it's amazing uh, to do that. Now, when we were trying to figure out what price to put on for insurance, it, it, first of all, there are only 11 of them. So, you know, how often do they show up? Turned out in 2003, a copy did show up at auction. The problem with the copy at auction was that it was over the years, either it got eaten by insects, it got wet, it got damaged, and it got damaged to the point where 40 40 or 50 of the words were gone. You know, the the eaten through or the paper was destroyed. And 17 years ago, it sold for a little over $200,000. Now, in the 17 years between now and then, uh, interest in declarations have gone up a lot. Uh, And many people might say this is good or bad, but the people who are rich in this country have gotten a lot richer. In other words, there's a lot at the very, very top, there's a lot more money there. And so when we were talking about it uh, with my staff and we were trying to figure out a fair price, he said, first of all, the one that's being loaned is a perfect copy. It's signed by John Hancock. I don't know how you would ever find another copy if this something happened, but we said easily it would be a million and a half dollars. And uh, so we we decided to put an insurance appraisal of it on a million and a half. We also, the way we went about it too, is we also looked up some known copies that have shown up in 2003 and looked at those, which aren't the same, but how much did they go up? in the meantime. Mm. But the main thing was myself and one of one or two of our staff members who particularly worked on this appraisal, we were just so thrilled to be dealing with something mm. that we're probably never going to see again. Awesome. Uh, the one thing I will say for people, and I'll encourage people to do this, if you come to Massachusetts in the Boston area, the um, Kennedy Library is a great place to visit. Next door to the Kennedy Library is the Massachusetts State Archives. In a glass sealed case, there is another copy of that declaration in the museum, uh, the Massachusetts State Archives Museum. You can't touch it. You don't get the, the privilege that, like I did to put my pinky finger on huh. it and say, I've touched a signed declaration, but but you can see it. And, 
that's one of the things that's so thrilling about business that I'm in is you can you can actually look and touch a declaration of independence knowing it was printed by a woman the first one to ever have the names and John Hancock actually held this one and wrote his name on it I mean it's incredible I couldn't help but think of one pop culture reference when you were talking about the insurance policy that film uh, National Treasure there were a couple of them with Nicolas Cage and I believe yep. one of them, the main one had to do with the theft of the declaration, the real declaration. Yeah. It, it, that's just a movie, but it, you have to really think that you've got something so valuable in so many ways, not just monetarily, but culturally and history, historically, when you have that. That's awesome. One of the things that I one time mentioned, just a little follow up, and then we'll uh, worry about the next ones and questions people will ask. I one time did a document for the state archives. That document needed repair work up in North Andover, where there's a great restoration, paper restoration place. The document was so valuable that the state police escorted it up and they shut down Route 93 exit by exit so there'd be no other vehicles on the highway when the car that had that document, uh, there was a motorcade for it. And uh, so some, some things are so valuable and they're irreplaceable. And can you imagine a document getting a motorcade shutting down <laughs> a major highway just so they could get it to be uh, fixed up a little? Great. In any case. We want to thank the individual whose question we talked about and had a great story or two or 10 to talk about. But uh, these questions are welcome as we embark on the next 100 episodes of the Brattlecast. You can go to brattlebookshop.com. Ken, it's been such a delight. And uh, I don't know where the time has gone. A hundred seems to just zip on by, but I'm game if you're game to continue. We we can do this for years and years <laughs> and years because I, I I plan on doing this forever. Well, every day it's is fun. an adventure. Every day is an adventure because you don't know what you're going to come up against, and it's always interesting. And uh, people really enjoy the podcast, and more and more people are going to be part of it, I'm sure, as we go and along. one of the things that I also want to say in the podcast, Jordan, we've done a hundred of them. But when I first decided to do this, I wanted it done professionally. I wanted it done well. We knew each other. I contacted you. And I also find it so much better to be talking to somebody. Yeah. And you're so good at coming up even in the middle of a question that I don't think of. And I just think you bring out a lot of the best in it by essentially being the audience and what they were going to ask. And also... I don't have just an iPhone sitting in front of me with the sound not good. So you've really helped tremendously. Well, it's, so it's been great fun, and I, I'm humbled by that, but I, I love the topic. I, books are everything to me, and uh, getting a chance to hang with you is super. So be well, and we'll see you next time on the Brattlecast, my friend. Write in the questions, and we'll get some good general ones for the next ones, too. Thank you. Thank you.